0: Welcome to the first podcast in our new sermon series, The View From Here. I'm Dan Rambeck, one of the elders at City on a Hill Church, located in Rosemount, Minnesota. Our service is live streamed from the Steeple Center every Sunday at 10 a.m. on both YouTube and Facebook. Bruce Bentley will be starting our series with a sermon called, Belong, New Things for the Gospel. 2021, everybody's, you know, very optimistic. We finally flushed 2020 away. It's out of our system. And and we're looking forward to better things in 2021. And we all hope that we do see better things, and happier things and healthier uh, situations for all of us. Uh, At the same time, I think it would be wise for, for us to consider that if we're looking for a return to normal, and whatever normal is to you, because that's a whole other topic, right? What you may consider normal, I may not consider anywhere near normal. But if that has something to do with pandemic and restrictions and health for most people, we would like to return to a situation, right, where there isn't that going on. Uh, and maybe, and hopefully that is the case in 2021, but if, if your mindset is, going backwards to return to whatever I think normal is. A lot of people are saying, a lot of experts and pundits and, and people that are evaluating culture, a lot of people are saying, there's not a return to normal, okay? Uh, and look at it, just look at what's what 2020 did as far as the changes it brought to society as a whole in different areas or different spheres that we operate or that we work in. Many larger companies uh, that were fearful that if we let people work at home, then productivity goes down, have discovered the exact opposite. Productivity was just fine if not increasing when people work at home. So the way that a lot of us work is going to look different in 2021, it already is. School districts, faculty members, people that are working uh, even in our 196 district right here, Uh, uh, have had to adapt. And wherever you're at, if you've got kids in school, you've had to adapt to whether it's hybrid or distance, online learning whatever. And there's certainly been bumps in the road in that, but we've had to make the best of it. Going forward, we don't know what it's going to look like, but I don't think it's going to look exactly like whatever we had in the past. Online business, healthcare practices, uh, having a someone to call when you're sick instead of running to the clinic. Uh, And even hospitals are getting more aggressive and trying to troubleshoot and sending uh, a nurse practitioner or an RN to your home instead of running into the hospital or wherever. Uh, The way healthcare functions in that way is looking different. Uh, There's probably a lot of good things that are involved in those changes. Um, uh, Furthermore, our excessive internet gluttony the way that we constantly consume stuff on the internet. Good, bad, probably a lot of bad, uh, but maybe some good in the way that we use the internet, as long as it's not using us, and not only in the way that we buy, but also the way that we connect with other people. Uh, we could point out a lot of things that probably aren't so good in that, but things have changed. So we're not gonna go backwards to the way that we bought and sold and traded and used and connected. We're just gonna go forward whatever that looks like. Uh, And I believe 2021 is gonna be kind of a watershed moment for the church, our church, City on a Hill, and maybe probably most churches in the way that we do ministry. There's no, I don't think there's gonna be any return to whatever we thought was normal in the way that we did programs and ministries and Bible studies, the way that we related to each other, I think it's only going forward. Just the way that we measured uh, the way that churches grew or the way that churches didn't grow, uh, all that is changing because of so many people engaging only online, and even if the pandemic lifts or when it lifts, uh, we don't expect to see that changing, or at least going back to the way we We uh, we used to do church or church ministries. All these changes, massive changes are coming. So if there's no, if I'm correct in what I'm saying, there's no return to normal, whatever normal is, what are we going to? And that's the big mystery, right? That's the big question mark as we enter 2020, what is around, just around the corner? So as we begin this year, January 3rd, New Year, We've got a new little series going on here, a little mini series, three different Sundays. And you see the title on the screen is the view from here. And what we're going to engage in I think is important for us, especially at this time of year and also at this watershed kind of critical moment that we have. So what does this title mean? Uh, If you are, if you're really old, you remember when you had to go somewhere in the car that you've never been before you had to actually get out the phone book and find an address or get out the map, like the map that nobody can fold, and you'd lay it out, and you'd draw out, you know, directions or write out directions in order to find someplace. Hardly anybody remembers doing that anymore. And then there was this weird in-between time between writing stuff out and what, you know, everybody's got a smartphone, it's got a GPS, right, attached to that, and then we just, you enter in the address, and voila! You know, it, there's the the pretty picture map, and you get there. So in the middle, if you remember, uh, anybody remember Garmin's and Tom Toms? Okay, so I remember that phase of trying to find an address. I didn't own a Garmin, but I remember being with people who had a Garmin that had to be connected to their computer. They had to remember to update it before they left home and then they put it in their car on the cup holder, and then you see this little screen, right, of where you hope that you are, and you hope it updated accurately so you don't wind up in a gravel road in the middle of nowhere, which also happened a few times because Garmin wasn't correct in the left turn, right turn stuff. That was a phase uh, that we, you know, most of us went through trying to go somewhere, or find something. Uh, that ir- irritated me to no end, which is the main reason I don't want to spend money on a Garmin. Because all you saw, even though it was, you know, well, in addition to that, it was uh, in, not all that uh, accurate most of the time. But all you saw was a little screen in front of you with a little dot or arrow where you were at. And you didn't have the big picture, the map in your mind when you saw that. You had to kind of blindly trust the Garmin was taking you in the right direction. And it always annoyed me. Now, I know some of us are directionally challenged. I know a few people very well that would fall into that category. But I know I want to see the big picture. I want to see the map. Even now, I put in an address on my phone, even some place locally here in town. I still want to see the big picture because, oh, yeah, I know where I'm going. I'm going north here and I'm going east here. and, And then I can put in the address and feel like I'm okay now because I've got the bigger picture in mind. So I don't know if you're like that, if you're like me and and liking, if you like or prefer to know the big picture, but that is very similar to what we're doing in these three weeks. So much of the time when we talk, when I preach and I bring up different topics or subjects, issues related to church and church ministry, all we have is a little screen in front of us. And all you have is a little blip when I bring something up. These, uh, these three weeks, today and the next two weeks, we're showing the bigger map, the bigger picture. What is it that we are about as a church? What is the bigger picture of our mission? Why does the blip matter? Well, it matters because it fits into the bigger map of what's going on. Uh, so hopefully that's clicking with you. So I'm gonna show you on the screen here, what is it that when we talk about our mission, Over 10 years ago, the people that joined me in talking about and dreaming about and praying about starting a new church, we spent a lot of time talking about what is our mission, what makes City on a Hill unique and different, and not just any old place or any old church. So we landed on those three things that you see in front of you. What we're doing in this little mini-series is dividing that up in three different ways. So today, uh, that we take that first statement, intentionally investing our lives with others, and we, uh, like what we have done for the last few years, we boil it down to that first word. We boil it down to belong. Now, uh, we'll have somebody else next Sunday talk about believe, and then the third Sunday, we'll focus on become. Now, believe and become, if you've been in a church for a while, uh, when we talk about the gospel, we talk about Jesus being the center, the focus um, of what we do and why we do it. And then we talk about becoming and discipleship and fellowship and following Christ. If you've been in the church for a while, those two topics you're probably the most familiar with, or they resonate, or maybe that's clearer to you. The first one is more unique to City on a Hill. It's how we look at the way that we function and the way that we look outward. And that idea of belong probably is the, um, is the hardest to grasp of the three, which is why I wanted to do it. And, it. and the other reason I wanted to do belong is I'm the most jazzed about it right now, especially right now when a whole lot of people and a lot of people I see online, a lot of pastors, a lot of church experts, um, there's a lot of wringing of hands right now because things have changed and we don't know what we're about to step into, you can look at it pessimistically. You can look at it like, oh man, I I long for the good old days, right? Or, Or you can look ahead by faith and say, we've got brand new opportunities as a church in the way that we live, in the way that we function, in the way that we pray, in the way that we seek to be a part of what God is doing right now. I'm that kind of guy. I'm, I'm landing on the optimistic side. I'm landing on the place where we have a whole new world in front of us that we have the opportunity to embrace. So that's the one that jazzes me up. Um, the, these three aspects that we're going to look at this morning and what it means to belong are right there in front of you. So we're going to talk about what it is to belong or new. Okay, we'll land on that word. How it is that we belong or to know, and then thirdly, where it is that we belong, or what does it mean to actually go, okay? Those three things, new, know, and go, that's what we're going to develop this morning when it comes down to belong and what belong means for us as a church. So we're going to jump into that first one, new. Uh, I love, just as a way of introduction, this first point, I love the book of Isaiah. We have, I don't know if you notice, if you've been here or watching online the last few weeks, there have been a lot of times we've been in the book of Isaiah. It's a long book. It's an original Testament book, so it's a prophetic book. Isaiah had this long ministry that God called him into. He spoke on behalf of God during the reign of four different kings of Judah at the time. So he saw a lot going on, and in particular... He was a prophet or a minister of God during a time where things were getting progressively harder and worse for the nation, okay? The the outlook for the people was getting darker and darker. And there's also these passages in in Isaiah in different places during Advent that we jump back to when we read of the prophet speaking ahead, uh, prophesying about someone to come in the darkness even to bring a whole new light. I love the book. It's so deep and it's so rich. And what we're going to look at this morning helps us to understand this, how God is a God of new things, not of old things, but of new things. One of the, the most exciting parts of the book of Isaiah is this you know, chapter 40 and forward, where even though things are getting dark, uh, e- even though they're complicated, even though there are issues that the people face and they're not really stepping up to it, all these things that are going on, God is continuing to say, if you think you've seen it all, you ain't seen nothing yet. And that's what excites me most. uh, Even today, as we look at what Isaiah spoke of centuries ago, God is still speaking through Isaiah to us today about how God has not changed god is still a god of new things so isaiah we'll just get a a a picture a taste of that this morning from chapter 42 let's read those verses thus says god the lord who created the heavens and stretched them out who spread out the earth and what comes from it who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it i am the lord i have called you in righteousness i will take you by the hand Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Striking, massive things that God is saying through Isaiah that He is about to do. If you've been in prison, then I'm going to break you out. If you have been locked up in a dungeon, not just physically, but especially spiritually. If your heart is dead. If you've been cut off from God. All of these despairing kind of situations that just bring about more and more darkness. God is saying, I am gonna blow you away with something new, with the light that's gonna come with what I declare. So if you think the former things are pretty great, just wait until what happens next. Uh, In Isaiah 42, it just keeps, I, I would encourage you to take out your Bible later today and read from Isaiah 42 forward and get a taste of the passion of God, okay? Maybe that's something that we don't uh, pick up on all the time. And we, we read passages, and we, uh, we lose sight of how, how passionate God is for doing new things that we get to benefit from. Just one taste of that. Isaiah 42 Let me jump into um, verse 14. Uh, God says through Isaiah, For a long time I have held my peace. I have kept still and restrained myself. Now I will cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. I will lay waste the mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will turn the rivers into islands and dry up the pools. And I will lead the blind in a way they do not know. In paths that they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn uh, the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. Did you hear what, who God compares himself to? A woman in labor giving birth. Up until now, I've been quiet. And you've noticed that, right? The people of Israel, we've longed to hear from you, and we haven't heard. Okay, God acknowledges that. You haven't heard from me and i'm going to be screaming like a woman giving birth. I mean that's that's kind of earthy. That's kind of does God talk like that? Yes. God talks like that. I am going to cry out. This is massive. Pay attention. That's what he's saying to us today in 2021. Pay attention to what is about to happen. I'm crying out. Listen. Respond to what is new that God is about to do. Now, that's original testament, that's many centuries before the time of Christ. Jesus, when he comes and when he teaches under the new covenant that he came to establish, so it's no longer the law or any of that process in the original testament, now it's we come to God through Jesus, Jesus picks up the same theme in the gospels and continues to clarify how important, uh, how critical new things are to what he's doing. So let's look at what Jesus says, Luke chapter 5. The Pharisees come to him, the religious leaders, they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. (laughs) Not exactly fasting posture, right. So Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. So then he goes from that point into a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins if he does, The new wine will burst, the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. So the topic, the starting point, is fasting. The religious leaders say, you're not doing it right. You're not religious like us. You're not following our rules. So therefore, Jesus, there's something wrong with you. And then Jesus goes on using those parables to explain, we're not under that anymore. You're thinking old school. You're approaching what is now happening with the wrong tools, with the wrong outlook. So it's time to wake up. And he uses in that, you know, that really short parable two very practical ways that don't connect with us anymore unless you sew your own uh, clothes and mend your own clothes. I remember as a kid watching mom, uh, she would say, darn and dad socks, right? Uh, and I don't know if anybody has any clue what that means, but she would, she, she, dad had socks that were 800 years old, and I don't know how he still wore them. There, there was no elastic, elastic anymore, but that was the old school farmer guy my dad was, because if it's actually there, still, you still use it, okay? Uh, and Ma, he'd have holes all over these socks, and mom would sew them up and fix them up for you know years, for decades, the same pair of socks. Uh, yuck, anyway so jesus is using a parable it's going to connect with common probably poor people you keep mending well you don't mend something using a fabric uh, that is new it's going to shrink it's going to wreck what you just did same thing with the wine skins we don't have wineskins skins anymore but if you take new wine put it in an old wine skin old wineskin skin is probably tough and brittle new wine's going to ferment the gases are going to build up they're going to expand and if you have a skin that no longer expands guess what if you fill it too full it's going to rip out and everything's ruined you lose your skin and your wine so he uses practical real life examples to try to get their attention the new has come with jesus you cannot approach spiritual life, connecting with God, whether it's fasting or anything else, you cannot do it in the same way. What a perfect wake-up call for us today, moving into this new year. So here's the big idea so far. Recognizing or doing what's new isn't an effort to be trendy, or at least it shouldn't be an effort to be trendy or faddish or more attractive in the church, in our church. New is necessary to be faithful to God's plan. So get me, hear me straight here, okay? Hear this straight. As we look back, there are good things in looking back, not just for the history of the church, our church, but the history of the church in scripture, the history of God's work in this universe. We can, as we look back in Scripture, we need to do that so we can be all the more fully aware of how trustworthy God is, how solid and reputable His reputation is with us. God can be trusted. We need to understand fully His attributes, His steadfast love, His desire and the passion He has for the lost, how He acts on behalf of us. So we look back and we gain understanding with that. But what we don't see as we look back, just even in Jesus' time, same thing, what we don't see when we look backwards is what God is doing in the future and how He will do it. We can look back and know that He will. We can have some idea how He'll do it because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We get some clues that He is trustworthy, right? As we look at scripture, we can understand better, but we don't see looking back in what God is going to do, what we need to see looking forward. We've got to keep our eyes forward to be a part of the new thing God is doing. Now, one more thing with that. There is always uncertainty when it comes with some when it comes to something new, right? So many times in scripture, God calls men and women and people groups to do new things without the map. No Garmin, no TomTom, no GPS, spiritually or otherwise. He just says go. Okay, where, what, how, go. All right, (laughs) we're gonna get to that part and what it means for us to go. Uh, But just the fact that God is is sending us into something new doesn't mean it automatically makes sense, or feels good, or is easy. In fact, it's it's the opposite. Because the Spirit is involved with His church, sending the church into something new, and doing something new, that is probably a guarantee that not only is it uncomfortable, that it's impossible. At least in the way that we look at it, apart from faith. What God sends his people to do looks crazy every time. From a distance, from our perspective, how can that be? What are you calling us to? I don't like that because I'm uncomfortable, I'm uneasy with what you're saying, God. That is exactly what God does and we have centuries of history to show it and to prove it. So if we're looking ahead and we're uneasy and uncertain, We're in the right place. If we are stepping into that, I'm not saying unwise or foolish stuff. I hope you're hearing me, hearing me correctly. God always calls his people into the unknown, into new things. It's been a tough year. We've had testing, we've had challenges, but look at what God has done already, even in recent history with our church. He's already doing new things. And as a church, we've had to step into it. That's the, that's the issue with, with all of our churches right now. All of a sudden, we can't meet publicly. You have to go online. That's thrown a wrench into what we normally do. And I don't like it, and no one else liked it. But you know what? As city on a hill, as a church, are, you have stepped up. We've had volunteers stepping up into the unknown and even though it takes more time and it's complicated and you got to learn new things, we've done that. And you've supported that. And it's even though it's complicated and tricky, I believe that we're still on the same page with where we're moving forward. So I am encouraged by what is happening right now. I think our church is stepping up. And all that to say this. If we are on the same page, if we are continuing to follow our, follow our mission, and if God is a God of new things, then this year is going to push us even further into the new. Uh, we've stepped up the challenges so far, that's awesome, that's excellent. I'd pat you all on the back right now, but I can't physically do that. But that's, that's a good thing. What will God have us do next that is new, if we're faithful in responding to him, man, this is the opportunity for us to go boldly into whatever that is that God has for us. So there is something out there, the new normal, whatever normal is, however define that. Uh, so what is the potential? What is it that's going on? And how do we step into that? That's where this second idea with belong comes from uh i think i jumped too far ahead there there it is so how it is that idea that word know so belong as we defined it it really means growing and developing our neighborhood cultural intelligence okay neighborhood cultural intelligence how is it that we come to know the culture around us and how does our knowing our 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 growing knowledge of our neighbors, of our friends around us, how does that shape and direct our belong efforts? The prime example of what that means is what Paul does in the city of Athens. So we'll jump into that briefly. Acts chapter 17, Paul's got time to spare. He is in the ancient city of Athens. He is alone for all we know. He is the one Christ follower, the one Christian, the one believer in this entire city. So, some principles uh, that are basic observation things to what Paul does as we look at this real briefly here this morning. He made good use of his time. And this goes back to the cultural intelligence that we've got to be doing. Paul shows up. He doesn't hide away from the pagans and the altars and the temples. Like, oh, bad. Bad people, I'm going to stay over here away from the bad pagans. He doesn't do that. He engages, he gets into the marketplace of Athens. He walks where other people walk. He sees what they're doing, he takes it in. He is fully immersed in what's going on in Athens. He reasons with people, he begins talking with them. He learns more, he's not, I don't think the passage is saying he argues with them, trying to defeat them in in some kind of a me versus you sense. He's getting to know them. He's trying to understand them. That's the idea of reasoning with the people. He perceives or he picks up on cultural trends. So he's, in, he's, he's making notes. He's, he's seeing and hearing things. He's making notes of what's going on. And then he finds a way to connect his message, the message of the good news of Jesus Christ, in a way that is understandable. <clears throat> in a way that people at least you know, can hear and they can begin a conversation. Uh, So what does the passage say? So, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. And the rest of the story follows on there in Acts chapter 17 as far as what it is that Paul proclaims. And he doesn't pull punches. He gets directly into the gospel, but he begins in a point where here's something that we share, in, we share, it's a shared value that you guys have, you don't have any idea who Jesus is, I know him, I perceived that you're aware that there's an unknown God that you want to cover all your bases. There's gods everywhere in the, in the Greek pantheon, right? And uh, even, an un, there's probably one more we don't even know the name of, to the unknown God. So Paul uses that as a launching pad to get the, the conversation going. You're religious, I have a religion, and I perceive that you're aware that there's something else that we don't know, and you openly admit you don't know so what you don't know allow me to tell you about it's what a beautiful way to begin a conversation that he uses that didn't happen like that but as he spent time with people as he perceived as he reasoned he begins to put together this is a starting point for the gospel as i relate to other people it's not a slam door he opens the door to a whole new conversation with people. Big idea, we need to find a new starting point to really know and connect with other people in our culture today. What I find when I talk to people all the time, people are not against Christianity, they're not against church, they're not against worship services, even though they don't go to them, uh, they're not against them. They just don't see the point of, uh, of, of Christianity, of you know, why would we get up and go to church on Sunday morning like what, what you guys did and those who are watching what you're doing uh, online. What is the point of that? Well, we need to learn how to come to a point where we can start sharing ideas and explaining, I have a point to this. And let's talk about what the point is. You see in italics there, what do your neighbors value the most? We did a little exercise just, just over a year ago as a church. Some of you are here this morning, we a part of that exercise. We had, I don't know, like eight or nine different tables and small groups at each table. And all I did was I asked everybody a question, write down what it is that your neighbors value the most. What's most important to your neighbors? in your neighborhood. And we spent a few minutes writing things down, all sorts of ideas come up, you know, sports, activities, family time, neighborhood get-togethers, time with extended family, trips, vacations. We had a huge list of things as we talked. You know what didn't come up once? Church. Not once. I can't remember how 50, 60 people of us in that room. Now you'd think we might even have a built-in bias, right? Because it's church people talking. <laughs> like somebody might bring that up. Not once when we talk. There, it, it used to be a generation, maybe now two generations ago, some, somebody who starts a family, you know, buys a house, or, or somebody who moves into town. Just a generation or two ago, one of the first things you did was find a church to go to. Now, some of you are here at City on a Hill because you moved to Rosemont and you're looking for church. So that still happens, but I'm telling you, it is not likely anymore, even when people move to a town. So you can't, we cannot, and, and we've been talking about what is the next phase for City on a Hill, it, you know, land and building and so forth. If we all lived 70 years ago, then you could feel pretty certain that you could buy some land and put up a building and people are gonna come because that's, that was a shared cultural value. We go to church. There's a church, you go to church, okay? You may not be a believer, but that's the thing you do. You follow me? No one does that anymore. We could build a really cool building and hope that people come, and I'm telling you, they're not gonna come, at least not in large numbers. That's not where our culture is at today, the majority of people that we talk to certainly the majority of people I talk to. I think I've used in the past, I'll use it again, Uh, a guy that I know who does not go to church anywhere. He used to go to church when he was a kid, does not go to church anywhere now. Uh, He told me, if I wanted Vegas, I'll go to Vegas. Meaning, you know, big time, attraction, lights, sound, whatever. Uh, He's been to churches that are like that. And he told me, frankly, bluntly, if, if I wanted a Vegas experience, I'd go to Vegas i'm looking he he was telling me i'm looking for something that vegas can't give me Bing. (laughs) we're not vegas (laughs) newsflash right what do we have we have people that genuinely love each other we have people who sacrifice we have people who give we have people who show up when it's important when it's meaningful what we need to do, and what the challenge is, I'm getting to here, is what's the next level with those people who aren't against church? They don't see the point of it. Even with building, with, a, with land and a building, how can we, as a church, look at what our neighbors and our neighborhoods around us value and say, you know what? There's some of those things that we value. Okay? Not everything is, is you know, a, a cross point touch point or whatever, but there's some things that are when it comes to community building and, and, and sharing things together uh, that are also valued in our culture today. If we pinpoint those things and begin experimenting with how can we connect on those, then guess what? We open the door wide open to gospel conversations. Are you following me? That's what gets me so excited about right now. There's no reason to wait for size and particular structures or other things that tend to bind or bog us down there are ways we can connect right now that are right before us that are meaningful that are practical that are inexpensive ways that we can love people ways that things that we can talk about values that we share oh i get so excited about that i hope there's something in you that that the crank that turns a little bit when we begin talking about things like that New wineskins. That's what it's about. The Spirit is pouring something new into us and into our church. Be aware. Perceive it. Whatever is old, whatever worked in the past, great, that worked then. But it ain't working now. So what is it that the Spirit is doing that we've got to have our eyes open to as we look forward? So new and no, and finally this. Uh, where it is, where is belonging, what, it, what does it mean to go, why is this so important? Throughout Scripture, God is a God of going. God sends people, he, uh, we've already mentioned that, sending people out to go on behalf of Him as a part of His mission. Uh, scripture is filled with His examples. God goes, God is a going God, God goes before His people. You see that theme uh, developed and that reality in Scripture. Jesus goes. Jesus comes from uh, the Father and comes to us. He goes to us. And then as the gospel, as we read the gospels, what he does and how he teaches and how he then sends the disciples and then the Great Commission, how he sends everyone, go, go, go is just stamped all over it. Here is a passage I love in Jesus as he models and as he teaches and how, and how at the same time he confronts that old style Uh, thinking from the religious people. It's Luke chapter 15. Let's look at it real quick. It's so important to understand uh, what Jesus is talking about and, and who we are going to. Luke 15, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with him. So He told them a parable. The irony is so thick you can cut it with a butter knife. Read it again, okay? So you have the quote-unquote sinners coming to Jesus, the street people, the prostitutes, um, the, the lowest rung of society, whatever comes to mind is probably pretty close to accurate. And the religious people are offended by that. How could he want to be around those dirty, sinful people, right? But look at how Luke presents the passage to us the tax collectors collectors and sinners are coming. Now the Pharisees, the scribes are religious people, they're also coming. Did you notice that? That's the irony of it. They they look at the distance and see the sinful people coming, and then they join them, still thinking that we're better than them, yet they're all coming. Whether you think you're sinful or righteous, righteous, they're all coming to Jesus. Now, when Luke speaks... Okay, of sinners. He's not talking about the Pharisees, but the way Jesus and the way that the gospel comes out and comes forward out of this passage, we begin to realize whether you think you're one of them or whether you think you're not one of them, we all realize we are part of the sinner crowd. And then what does Jesus do? So he told them this parable. He goes on to say what Man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Without the gospel, you could be the Pharisee and say, I'm one of the 99, I don't need you. But when the gospel comes home, if you have ears to hear, you begin seeing yourself as that one. The focus isn't on the 99, how are they righteous, are they saved or not? That's not the point of the parable. To understand a parable, you gotta understand the immediate impact And where the gospel speaks is, I'm the one. And Jesus came for me and dropped everything. And not only does he go and find me, what does he do? He loves me. He puts me on his shoulders. He carries me back. He rejoices. He says to all his friends, this one was lost. Now look, he's mine. She's mine. I welcome you home in my arms. That's Jesus. That's The gospel for us. Jesus goes in to grab us and find us. As we sang earlier, Jesus is a friend of sinners. Anybody remember that old song? It's a really old one. And I asked Jeremiah to pull it out and dust it off because it's so true. And if Jesus does that for us, will you respond? Will you consider responding in like manner because of the gospel changing us? I can be a part of the extension of his ministry to go and love a sinner. Because it's not just Jesus who is a friend of sinners. He calls all of us to be a friend of sinners. Whether it's a person who looks like a sinner or it's a person who looks like the Pharisee, the righteous quote unquote one. Doesn't matter. We're all in the same boat. Jesus says, go and have a heart To bring people back to him the really big idea is this spiritual life ends when believers don't go in the book of acts uh, as the church just began to grow uh, all the way up into acts i think chapter 8 we see the spirit pouring out and people meeting together in this new faith, this new church, this new way. It's not even called Christianity yet, it's called The Way. Uh, and they're loving each other, they're giving stuff to each other, and, and people around them, uh, maybe they don't understand why they're so loving, uh, but they see what they're doing and they, uh, they're favorable. They look at uh, Christians and, and Christians have found favor with them. So everything's going really great in Jerusalem and surrounding areas, why would we move? We got a good thing going here. The spirit is pouring out and we're enjoying this. So the church dead ends even though things look really good. You follow me? The church ends in Jerusalem because why would we go any further? Things are going great. Not until persecution comes in and things get to I mean get really rough and Christians are running for their lives, God has to introduce persecution to get churches to get christians back in line with that going idea why go when it feels good where we're at but god still says go and i'll do because i love you because i love people i'll do whatever it takes to get you off your butt and send you back out look at what we've just gone through are you look at me look at me 2020 Look at the garbage and the pain and the difficulty that we've just gone through. Is God speaking to the church to wake up? I think undoubtedly he is. We have so much. We've been blessed in such an extravagant way. We have the tools. We have the training. We have the ability. We have God. And persecution comes as a wake up call to say you've forgotten what it means for you to have the priority of going. So I'm gonna make it real tough for you to keep doing what you've always done to get your attention. I'm not a prophet, I don't have the gift. I just think it's so obvious and so painfully obvious that we've got to wake up to this idea of going as it fits in with our mission of belonging now i'm harping i'm beating you up a little bit sometimes the preacher has to afflict i know that some of you are doing this okay i get that i know that and praise god for that i'm saying as a church corporately there are opportunities that we haven't even touched yet and we've got to engage with those things so here we go we'll wrap it up promise applications Number one, pray your face off. Now, here's what I mean by that. Because some people, uh, I know, some Christians, I don't have time to pray, or I don't know how to pray, or or make make up excuses for not praying. So that's garbage. Can we just say right now that's garbage? There are so many ways to pray that aren't difficult. Praying is talking to God. He intercedes when you don't know how to pray or exactly how to pray, so don't sweat it. Just talk to Him especially when you don't want to. That's all the more reason to do it. On the tables, I have a copy of our January prayer calendar. If you don't know what to pray about, use that. If you don't have a copy, uh, download it from our email newsletter, use that as a beginning point. Uh, Sean, who isn't here this morning, he has talked to me and talked to some of you about doing some Zoom times uh, just to gather online to pray and uh since you can't talk to him this morning you talk to me about that if you want to be a part of that i don't know when exactly it's going to happen it's easy it just takes a few minutes if you got to go do something else do that but be praying sunday mornings i get up early to review the notes i look at my notes and go what was i thinking you know then I, i got to put together a sermon real fast but on top of that on top of that i pray I pray for this service, I pray for the people leading, I pray for you, as you come, that God would speak to you. That it's not about me, the big mouth up here, blowing hot air, that the Spirit uses even me to connect with you through his living word. I pray for you all through the week and especially on Sunday morning. If you wanna join me in prayer, not in the pajamas at five o'clock in my house, I don't want that. But if you in your house wanna pray before church, then do that. Set the alarm, get up a little bit earlier, get the coffee going, and just be praying for our church and that God would use even me for something greater, for his greater purposes. All these different ways we can pray. If you haven't been doing that, change the lifestyle, recommit yourself to praying today and throughout this week. Number two, everyone find one. Here's what I mean by that. Not just find another program. If you're, in, if you're signed up for a Bible study, great, do it. Uh, if you've seen, some of you got the letter, some of you haven't got the letter yet. There's other things going on January, February. Do those things uh, that involve heart and mind. Great. What I mean, everyone find one. Find somebody else around you that you probably already know, that you probably already have a relationship with. In fact, that other person probably trusts you to find that person, identify that person, be praying for that person and actually talk to them about the hope that you have. Don't make up stuff. Be real. Tell them directly, you know what, I've known you for a while, and here's one thing we've never talked about that's really important to me. Do you mind if I talk to you about the hope that I have or the relationship that I have with God? Maybe that sounds weird or goofy. Just do it. I dare you to do it. Here's what the statistics say. Now, these are a little old. They're about seven years old, but 82% of the unchurched around us, people that we know, are at least somewhat likely to attend church if invited. If invited by somebody there, 82%. Now, that's somewhat likely. That's not a guarantee, okay, for most of us. It is, however, enough to get all of us thinking that there are people around us that, okay, I never wanted to before, but if you're going, I'll I'll at least think about it, okay? Now, in addition to that, hear this. Two percent of church members invite an unchurched person to church in a given year. Now, I realize pandemic stuff and inviting people is tricky, but you know what? If it's not pandemic, we all, from our hearts, we all find excuses to not do something. If it's not pandemic, it is something else, and that the busyness of our culture. That is it. That is the excuse button that we hit. Two percent ever invite someone else. That is pathetic. Now, I know there are a number of people here that do invite friends. All I'm saying is, if you haven't done that before, what are you waiting for? Honestly, a a, a lightning bolt to hit you? A, a, A big sign to pop up out of the ground like a video game? Or You know, those things don't happen most of the time. So if you've been putting it off, I don't know what you're waiting for, but stop waiting. Find somebody that you know. Every one of us, find one. Find somebody to talk to and introduce what you believe and even invite to church and invite into a Bible study, invite to be a part of our discussion, wherever it is, do it. And I just turned that off and I didn't mean to. So the last one, the last one, cling tightly to God's word. And what I mean by that, and I say this often, preach the gospel to yourself. We're n- we are not capable of pulling ourselves up by our own spiritual bootstraps. And anything that I say, because I'm always wary of application points because the temptation is, oh yeah, you're right, I stink. He's right, I've done everything wrong. I might as well go you know, find a hole and fall into it. So it's, it's, that's not the point, okay? We need to remind ourselves uh, it is only by the grace of God. And as he works in us, and hopefully, I've, I've been praying he works through this message, that something stirs in you and says, I know somebody, I don't know why I put it off, or I haven't been praying. I, that's great, experiment with that, right? step into one or all of these areas, not because I told you to or you feel guilty, but you find life in them. That something warms in your heart as you think about it. Oh, I want that because of Jesus in me. Not I have to do it, I get to do it. And as I look at you, I know we've got people, I know this is a church that thinks like that. So I'm just encouraging you to act on it act on these things and make them happen let's pray lord jesus we come before you eager to hear from you again we know and rejoice together knowing that you are a god of new things that you make all people new as we come to receive you and believe in you you make us into new people even as we fast forward through scripture as you come and you establish your kingdom You say, behold, I make all things new and all things forever, constantly, wonderfully renewed and made new over and over again. God, make us new today. Remind us and revive us and refresh our thinking and bring our cold uh, hearts to to fleshy life and make us beat again. Our hearts beat with with a passion that looks like yours for the people around us to cry out, to love out, to act out in ways that honor you, that bring all the attention and focus, to glorify a God who'd left everything behind to come and find us and bring us home. Make us a church that seeks to find ways, Lord, to belong and to connect and to, and to share values and to start conversations, uh, pandemic or not, Lord, do that new thing through us so your gospel will go out and we'll find and and seek people ourselves who will come to know you and love you and also seek to follow you. Lord Jesus, do that new thing in us and around us and through us so that God can be praised. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Next week, we're continuing the View From Here series. We also have multiple podcasts to check out, including Genesis, Crossroads, Ruth, Faithworks, and Glory. For upcoming news and events, check out our website at mycityonahill.org.